0: Hey, it's Yota Budd. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, we look at the celebrity who's become an icon for an illness again, and we also will spend time responding to emails and messages from Blue Monday, We also touch on cities banning tobogganing, if you can believe it, on local hills, and other celebrity who saved a woman from a car crash. And in light of the two major instances of child abuse and domestic violence in Alberta, we speak with a former provincial child advocate on how widespread child abuse is and how it can stay hidden for so long. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Did you watch the Emmys last night? Come on. I'm sure you did. You watched the Emmys last night, and, you know, I don't know if your favorite shows won or didn't win, if your people won awards or didn't win awards. I don't know. I don't really have the patience to watch that whole show. But I did catch the clip of Christina Applegate, by the way. And um, have a listen to what she said at uh, at the Emmys. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. You're totally
1: shaming me with disability by standing up. It's fine. Okay. Okay. body not by ozempic okay let's go uh
0: some of you may know me as kelly bundy from married with children um thank you we don't we don't have to applaud every time i do something um or samantha from samantha who or probably maybe my last job from jen harding from dead to me thank you there you go. She's a wonderful actress and uh, tremendous at what she does. Uh, and, you know, now, unfortunately, if you if you weren't able to catch what she was talking about, uh, Christina has been diagnosed with uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, and, uh, you know, trying to deal with that, you know, trying to deal with that. So, you know, I have some friends and relatives uh, that are, uh, that have MS and live pretty full lives. You know, she went on stage and talked about it and you know, came out and now, as a result of her of her fame and her connection with the world and the you know the listening and, and watching audience, viewing audience, she now finds herself as an advocate for people that are suffering with MS. So, uh, really quite amazing. Can you imagine, though? Right? Can you imagine coming out on stage after you know, kind of being in in, in out of the public? For a couple of years, she was diagnosed in 2021, and uh, she came out of the uh, went basically went not going to hiding, but I'm sure took the time that she needed to to catch her breath and figure out what she needed to do to move forward. And as a result of that. Um, she then caught, you know, man, managed to get the energy and the strength and the confidence to attend the Emmys and give out an award, be presented with an award, um, and received an out, outrageous, if you see the video, an outrageous standing ovation from her peers and uh, those that were in the audience. It was, it was amazing to see. So why am I talking about the Emmys and why am I talking about Christina Applegate and what she had to say coming out uh, with her illness and talk about it? So there's a message here, right? What's the message? The message is sometimes we're given stuff. Sometimes stuff happens to us. And it puts us in a position where we're like, OMG, right? Not really sure what to do with this. You know, we, we start with that whole kind of, you know, the whole thing of of you know not believing what the diagnosis is and you know then you get to uh you get to a place where you start to you know think to yourself okay I can do this i understand i learn i'll learn what's going on i'll learn what what's happening i mean you know that's what my, my wife and I did when she was diagnosed with cancer ten years ago and thank god she's been you know uh, cleared now for a long time 10 years clean um but you know it was difficult we had a lot of learning to do and she had breast cancer and uh, because she has dense breast tissue, I'm not telling you any secrets and don't look at it from a, from a, you know, from a uh, sharing something private perspective because she was very, very open about it. My wife quickly became an advocate for people with dense breast tissue because the standard mammogram and such didn't work for, doesn't work for everybody. Anyway, I digress. My point is, what's my point? I know you're looking at me going, what the hell is he talking about? I'm talking about turning lemons into lemonade. I know you didn't expect that to come. Right. But listen to me, seriously, listen up. You know, if If I work with a lot I've worked over the years with a lot of people who are were victims of different types of things different victims of of uh of human trafficking victims of domestic abuse victims of uh family you know dynamics that were such that were dangerous um and you know folks that have found themselves upside down for various reasons, feeling victimed you know feeling like a victim as a result of something. So how do you turn that victim situation into something more meaningful in your life? In other words, how do you turn that victim situation in your life to something as positive as you can, bearing in mind what we're talking about here? What we're really talking about is, you know, something pretty pretty earth-shattering. I'd love to hear from you, 877-399-9898, by phone or by text. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where something really crummy happened to you, but you use that as a platform to spring forward and help others that might be suffering with the same thing or might be challenged by the same thing? I have a good friend, used to be the national, uh, national director here at Chorus. His name is Larry Gifford. He's since retired from Chorus. Um, he is, he was diagnosed years a few years back with Parkinson's. Larry's a young guy, early 40s, young guy. He now has something called, he has a podcast called When Life Gives You Parkinson's. He's created something, um, you know, a a tremendous, uh, you know, the piece created an organization called PD Avengers, PD Avengers. And I've got a PD Avengers shirt, by the way. If you donate, maybe they'll send you one too. Larry took his Parkinson's and got on his uh, soapbox and began trying to change the world for others that were diagnosed with the same thing and has made international inroads, international inroads in helping tie the world of Parkinson's disease and various uh, charities and function and, 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 and organizations together as one, including the Michael Fox uh, Foundation. And he's making a difference, and not just in, in everyone else's life, but from a social, uh, selfish perspective, It also helps the person who's going from victim to advocate in a big way. Makes you feel like you're doing something, right? Makes you feel like you're doing something. So Christina got up and she talked about her her MS in a way that was empowering for others. Using her fame and and her platform to do good. And I'm sure without knowing her and without talking with her, But based on my discussion with others that were in the same situation, similar situations, not the same, but similar situations, the power that you get from sharing like that, holding your head up high and going, yeah, I got this, this and this, but this is what I'm doing about it. And I suggest you all do the same thing and you can lean on me for some support and some help. So she goes from being a weaker, the weaker side of the equation to be the strength in the equation. Hats off to her. Definitely one of uh, this week's uh, people at their best, Christina Applegate, um, for turning her, uh, her difficult situation to something that can help others. I want to share with you now uh, the experience from Monday, and it goes like this. So uh, it was decided by the executive team and our executive producer um, and our national uh, management team uh, that we would um, want to engage with people, engage with listeners uh, on Blue Monday, being that it's uh, considered one of the more difficult days of the year, year for people who might be you know dealing with some mental health issues or some difficulties and, and 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 let's hold that thought for a second right so it's called blue monday um i don't you know to be straight up i'm not a big believer in these kinds of things these types of days that uh, people can can look to and uh, you know uh, try to uh, i don't know Figure out how to get everything in one day uh, to to deal with the stuff that you've got going on. But Blue Monday is designed primarily uh, so people would feel way back when. So people who felt overwhelmed by the cold and the and the darkness and the middle of the year and you know typically not the greatest weather in most of the countries, other than you know Caribbean countries where that's a beautiful time of the year. Maybe some <clears throat> other parts of the eastern uh, part of the world, and so on. Uh, But for the most part, you know, Blue Monday is kind of a North American thing, uh, but it started, I believe, in Europe in the UK uh, by a travel agent uh, who decided that if they called Blue Monday a thing, being the the most difficult day of the year for people, people would book vacations and, you know, get away from the the miserable weather and so on and go elsewhere. And I, I assume it was very successful for a while. So then Blue Monday became a real thing. It became a thing that, you know, we're now taking advantage of as a result of the ability, you know, for us to be able to talk to one another about it, right? Be able to share with one another about it. Um, And, you know, it's really a day of the year, frankly, no different than any other day of the year. Uh, Although we look at it as the time of the year to share and talk about feeling a little blue, a little off, right? Not necessarily anything earth-shattering for most people, but just a little off. Now you're coming out of December, right? Lots of parties, lots of fun, it's time off work, sleeping in late, you know, staying up late at night, sleeping in late in the morning, going up for you know, if you're able to, you can afford it and you're able to go out and have a meal or two elsewhere. That's great. You know, uh, spending time with friends at home, you know, whatever you get into kind of that chill, relaxed thing. And, you know, depending on what you do for a living, that can be three or four days or it could be a couple of weeks. Right, it can be a couple of weeks if you're a teacher or somebody in that kind of profession. So to catch yourself back and and get yourself back kind of into into some groove come January, it takes a little bit of work. Now you're two weeks into January; it's the fifteenth, and OMG, now I'm getting my 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 uh, bills for my credit cards so that I spent too much time over Christmas, too much money over Christmas. I'm recognizing that maybe I put on a pound or two. Maybe I was drinking a little too much, smoked a little too much weed. Who knows, right? Whatever you got going on. Now I got to go back to work if you're fortunate enough to have a job. Now I got to go back to work. Now I got to go back to some kind of normal. So the 15th of the month was considered to be a blue part of the of the year. And uh, we addressed it here on Chorus uh, with a segment called a show called Coping. So we were across the uh, four major markets in Vancouver, uh, Edmonton, Manitoba, and Ontario, and it was it was incredible. I got to tell you, it was incredible. I worked with uh, uh, Doctor Gans Ferenc, who's a great psychologist uh, out of the uh, Alberta area, Um, and. find him on here online as well. Uh, Dr. Gans or Ask Dr. Gans, I think is his thing. Um, and, you know, we it had a really good time and we we're asking, we we're answering a lot of questions that people call, call, would call in and say, you know, I'm so-and-so and I want to share this and this and give me some advice about that and that. It was really cool. And what I'm going to share with you now, if you're open to it, if not, bear with me, see what you think. We're going to talk about some of these text messages and emails that we got for people that we weren't able to really address live on air. So we got a ton of text messages, we got a ton of emails. Uh, we actually had people call into something called a buzz line. I never even knew what that was, but there's apparently some some of the some of the stations have something called a buzz line where people can call in and leave a voicemail message. So we had voicemail messages from people who were who were uh, excited that we were able to help them or offer some advice and some help. Um, And we turned that into something. It was really great. So here are some, so I want to go through with you. If you're with me, stick with me here. We're going to go through some of the messages that we got from folks that we weren't really able to address. Now, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the text message or the email. I'm going to begin to provide advice, counsel, and direction. Therapy, if necessary, if the appropriate if the question is, one that I would answer with, answer with a therapeutic response, a response that's therapeutic, maybe it's better. But I want to hear from you. What advice would you give these people? 877-399-9898. three nine 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 eight nine eight. I'm deputizing all of you as my assistant therapists, assistant coach. Jump on the phone. Jump on the text. Eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight. Right, my boy, my boy is Oh, He's waiting, he's standing by, waiting to answer the phone. So, here it goes. Start with the first one. Her name is Elaine. Some of these are anonymous, some of these people gave their names, so give credit where credit's due. Her name is Elaine. She goes, and the message is this My 50 year old daughter cut communications with me over a year ago. I know I'm grieving this a, a lot. We, her dad, ex. Me and her, me and her ex, and her dad, my ex, and her attended a lot of counseling to try to work it out, but it didn't work. It seems useless now, and I'm getting older, and I don't want to end it like this. How do I deal with it? Well, how do you deal with it? How do you deal? Anybody out there been estranged from their loved one, son, daughter, somebody? Maybe been estranged with someone in your life that you know you haven't connected to, but you really feel like you should. Is Elaine the only person out there? What advice would you give Elaine? Text me or give me a call. I'm happy to I'm happy to have you do both. Cuz we want to give we want to give some advice to Elaine and any all the other Elaines out there that are feeling about feeling diff, uncomfortable about the same kinds of things. You know, losing a connection with a child, or not. you know, I've I've got three boys. I can tell you that uh, there's been times throughout our our uh, career, uh, our our uh, lives together, where we weren't quite as in sync as we may be today, and I feel you know felt strained where maybe a couple weeks or a month or so didn't went by where I didn't hear from one or the other because maybe we had some argument or some disagreement. It's painful when your kids don't want to reach out and talk to you. Or your loved ones, or your husband, or your wife, or your brother, or your sister, or your mom, or your dad, when it's in a, a reverse kind of thing. Fifty years old, fifty year old daughter doesn't want to talk to her. and She's getting older. I don't know. I imagine Elaine's got to be at least, you know, seventy something. Giving her the benefit of the doubt in terms of when she had the baby, and now she's sitting with this and trying to figure out how she's going to be able to find herself at peace with being distanced from her daughter, and I'm sure wanting to share so many things, special events, birthday parties, Christmas time, Easter, all those special occasions or depending on, you know, maybe it's Passover and Hanukkah or maybe it's whatever, Kwanzaa or something that you celebrate in in, in, in your family, in your heritage. Okay. So let's deal with another message. We were uh, talking about text messages that we got from the Blue Monday coping special across country. Um, And here are some messages from... uh some folks will try to address another one or two before we go to big break here. I hope you're loving it. Let me know. 877-399-9898. Hope that this stuff is helping you. Uh, if not, let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll change it up a little bit next time. Uh, here's one question I have uh, from Ryan. I have a question. I have to put down my beloved cat this week, and I'm an emotional mess. Don't know how long I'm going to, uh, how I'm going to cope. He's meant the world to me. I'm crying as I text this. Please, please. I need some advice. Thank you very much. Oh, my gosh, Ryan. First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, Second of all, I've been through this with my dog, Barney, a few years ago. Had to put Barney down. He was uh, almost 16. And just uh, anyway, I don't want to get to the Barney story. So, Ryan, what do you do? First of all, recognize that this is a loss, a real loss, uh, like any other loss, uh, whether it's a family member or. Your best friend or, God forbid, a parent, somebody like that, right? Uh, this loss is as real as all of those. Um, and sometimes, you know, we're even more connected to our pets than we are to the humans in our life because they're just easy to get along with, right? So what do you do? First of all, you spe- you, you look into grieving and, and, uh, and dealing with grief and loss. So there's a ton of video out there on YouTube, and there's a ton of uh, podcasts and blogs out there for people that are dealing with the grief and loss. I suggest you find one of those uh, and include them in your in your repertoire of things you can listen to and be a part of, because you'll feel better when you realize you're not alone. There's so many of us out there that have to deal with this. I'll tell you what I did with Barney. I mean, when Barney had to be put down, um, and, you know, I had somebody come to the house and put him down in his favorite blanket. And, you know, he was on the couch and, you know, but at that point he wasn't well, you know, he was shaking and and throwing up all the time, couldn't hold himself and uh, just not, not in a good place. Right. So how do we cope? We cope through positive memories. We cope through trying to recognize the experiences that we've had with our loved one, or in this case, your pet. And we, d- we dwell on those. We overtake the negative thoughts with the positive thoughts, with the positive memories, we also have to recognize that some of the negative thoughts are just is just healthy loss and remorse from 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 the uh, from the loss, right? So remorse or or, or um, you know the sadness that the sadness is a real thing, and it's important to be able to feel it. It's important to be able to recognize where that kind of feeling comes from, and be okay with it. It's okay to cry. When you think about talking to me, Ryan, about your cat, it's okay to cry when you sometimes a year from now, two years from now, you think about your cat in some way, shape or form. You happen to go somewhere where the two of you used to go or part part of the house where the, you know, used to hang out together and so on. Perhaps, you know, driving by the vet, you know, brings back memories for sure. So it's important to be okay with that. It's important to let yourself feel those things. Some people say, you know, leave the bowl, leave the, leave the collar, you know, their, their favorite toys around. Um, I I don't believe that. I believe that those are painful memories. Those are painful reminders for most people. You know, a picture, a really nice picture, maybe with their collar on the, you know, taped or put around the corner of the picture. So you have the collar in the picture to, to have in, 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 you know, in, in memoriam or in memorial. I'm not quite sure the proper way to say that. You know what I'm saying? You know, kind of a little a little area where you can, you know, kind of just have it set up for your cat, some little little plaque or something, right? A little picture. The other thing you can do is you can make a donation to human to other to other humane societies and uh, pet organizations, animal organizations, animal animal rescue. In this case, you know, uh, you know, cat rescue, dog rescue, whatever works for you. And you make that donation in the honor and the merit of the pet that you've lost. The other thing that you can do and you can think about doing is you can think about, um, you know, making a, you know, making a donation uh, on an annual basis, do something that's, you know, that's special for, uh, you know, on your, on the birthday of your cat. Maybe that's a day where you go to the local humane society and you, you know, bring treats for all the animals that are there and can't get out. You know, turning it into a, a positive time based on positive experiences. Make all the difference in the world in how you deal with grief and loss. You know, hiding from it, pretending it's not there is not the answer. You have to hit it head on. You got to deal with it face on. And recognize that it's okay to be sad when something or someone that's close to you, be an animal or human, is no longer there. I get it. You get it. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with any loss. I'd love to hear from you. Eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight. So that's what I would recommend, right? Just uh, positive memories. Think about good things. Now, perhaps get your head around uh, around thinking about getting another animal, another cat. I now have a Siggy. He's really delicious. I mean, Barney was seventy five pounds of golden retriever, combination of a bunch of things, big dog. Siggy six and a half pounds of absolutely delicious. Different different animal, need a different thing these days, right? I need a different different type of pet today than I had when, when I first got Barney a bunch of years ago. So when you're ready to do that, my friend, that's probably one real good way to get around it all. Appreciate everybody that reached out and sent messages. We've got a whole bunch more, but don't have enough time yet to, to deal with all of them. But I'd love to hear from you. If you want to reach out, you can. Yona.bud at chorusent.com, Yona, Y-O-N-A-H dot Bud, B-U-D-D, at chorus, C-O-R-U-S, Ent, E-N-T, one word, chorusent.com. You can send me messages, you can send me ideas, you can ask me questions, we'll help you in the in, the, in the up and coming show. I'll get back to you if it's something that shouldn't be on the show, but you're looking for help anyway. You can always find me at com. real easy. I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Here to try to help you. You to try to make your life a little bit better and make the lives of those that are listening that much better. You can't do that alone. You need to do it with you. You got to be a part of it. It's not a one-way show. It's an interactive experience. So I want to thank everybody who's given us messages and sent in uh, questions to uh, to share today. Uh, got only a couple of minutes left. Someone asked me, "What do you do with a kid?" Uh, What do you do with a thirteen-year-old who wants to go to school wearing uh, crop tops and uh, you know showing showing a little too much skin? I'll tell you what I do with my grandchildren. I got two grandchildren. I have a little boy who's uh, nine. I have a little girl who's eleven, and uh, I told them those this a long time ago that I'll make a deal with them that if they go to school wearing something that I don't think is appropriate or in their best interest in terms of showing them at their best, expect that I will come to school. To pick you up in the same type of outfit. So, if my granddaughter or grandson, for that matter, either of my grandchildren are showing a little too much tummy or a little too much butt crack when the pants are hanging too low and all you see is underwear, I'm coming to school bearing a belly and butt crack, and they will be so embarrassed. My granddaughter says, No, Zadie, you they'd call me Zadie. It's grand, it's grandparent in, in Yiddish and Jewish. Said, no, Zadie, you, you wouldn't do that. I said, Absolutely I would. She said, I would be so embarrassed. She says, Now imagine I said to her, now imagine how your mother and father might feel. Certainly how I might feel. So the best way to deal with your kids about what they wear, make sure they recognize that the that the standard that they set may come back to bite them sometime when mom or dad or you know or grandparent show up in the same type of outfit, I don't think it's going to be pretty. Otherwise, you kind of got to let them do their own thing and you know let them reach out in their own way. I have a grandson that likes to wear two different color socks or two different shoes sometimes to school. I'm good with that. As long as they're not two rights and two lefts, right? One right, one left. But it doesn't matter if they match. He's comfortable with that. You got to let them be what they want to be. At the same time, you want to keep them safe. So a little too much skin, nah, I'm not up for that. Let's get down to some serious business, not really, sort of serious business. Don't you think we had enough being told that we couldn't go out? We couldn't go to restaurants, right? We couldn't go to school, couldn't attend our place of business. Many businesses were shut down for a really long time, for years, two years, actually, give or take. Now, in in Toronto in particular, I don't know if this is happening anywhere else in Canada. I would love to hear from somebody across all the other provinces, 877-399-9898. Can you go tobogganing in your city? Yeah, you heard me correctly. Can you go tobogganing in your city? First of all, there has to be snow, right? But are the hills open? Or are there signs like there are across many of the, the, the tobogganing hills in Toronto that says, do not toboggan? You're not allowed to toboggan on the toboggan hills. I can't figure that out. I don't understand where that's coming from. That doesn't make sense to me. Now, some people say it's because the city is concerned about liability and about people getting hurt. Now, I don't know about you, but I went tobogganing for years and years and years and years and many, many years. And yeah, people got hurt. People did stupid things, you know, going down on a piece of cardboard or going down on a the top of a garbage can lid. I did it. Piece of plastic, right? not a proper toboggan, not, you know, or you'd go down, people would go down on these little toboggans that are too small for them, a little kid toboggan, but you're, you know, we were teenagers and, you know, we would do whatever we had to do to have some fun, sometimes stupid fun. But to ban people from using their common sense, that's what this conversation I'm having with you right now is about. It's about somebody having to tell you or me what to do based on common sense. Now, I know if I'm doing something and it's not safe, I'm taking it upon myself to do that, right? I'm not going to do something and then blame, you know, blame the people that run the hill in this particular case, tobogganing hills. I'm not going to blame them if I hurt myself unless they do something or something's on the hill that renders it unsafe, like a tree in the middle or no end at the bottom goes right into the street. Like there are some hills I've seen in some parks. Where if you want to use it as a tobogganing hill, you gotta be careful because it doesn't have an ending. So you're gonna end up on the street if you go fast enough. Or you potentially, you know, run into a tree or run into some bushes. Like there are you know, there are obstacles that would make tobogganing unsafe. But I'm smart enough to know that. I mean, for God's sakes, my grandchildren are smart enough to know that. Right? So the way I would suggest People do things is let us make our own decisions, right? Let's let us all make our own decisions. Let's all use our own common sense. You know, it goes back to whether I think it's safe for me to go to work or not, or show up somewhere without a mask on. You know, people, oh, yeah, I don't go anywhere without a mask anymore. Well, okay, that's good. That works really well for you, doesn't work for everybody. We all get to make our own choices. We're all a bunch of individuals and we get to make our own individual choices. So thank you for the city of Toronto to make sure that people don't kill themselves on tobogganing hills. But if those hills are unsafe, just close them down until you make them safe. Or if there if there's a situation where people might get hurt, you know, make sure that you do what you can to mitigate that that danger wherever you can. But at the end of the day, it's got to be up to us. And you know what? When no one's watching, people are going to be tobogganing there anyway. I know I would, just because there's a sign that says don't go tobogganing. I know I half the kids I know growing up, growing up you know, that would have been a good message for us to, to, to say, don't go tobogganing here. It's not safe. That just means to me, that's for sure the hill I want to be on. <laughs> I want to be on the one that's scary and dangerous. You know, if you look at the ski hills, you know, ski hills are marked with various, if you're fortunate enough to be able to go skiing, If you've ever ever had that opportunity or that privilege, if it's something you're interested in, ski hills are marked, right? Different colors, black or or the black, different colors. It can be diamonds, black diamond, blue diamond, yellow diamond. I'm I'm making it up because I haven't been on the hills in years. But there's a coding system to determine what's safe and what's not safe. So people can make a decision that says it's a dangerous hill. I'm not going to ski down that one. I'm going to go down this one that says it's a much easier uh, hill that, to go down than anything else, right? Does that make sense to you? Does that help, right? I don't know. What do you think? Kevin in Ontario says uh, that, uh, what's he saying? Kevin says uh, that people are concerned that it's all about healthcare, working under their megabuzz, recommending masks and whatever. Uh, it's all, you know, the whole thing is straining our systems, Right and thanks kevin he's a, 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 a you know a regular listener and a friend of the show and yeah you know it, it it does people do make silly mistakes and get hurt it does strain the medical system for sure but honestly do we live in a country where a big brother has to tell us what to do i mean i don't want to get all political here but if my kids want to go 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 tobogganing and their parents think it's okay and it's safe that's good enough for me Imagine you're in the car, you're on the road, minding your own business. All of a sudden you see a car crash ahead of you, you know, five or six or eight cars ahead, right? There's a couple of cars. Then to the left, there's another car. And then, you know, up ahead, there's obviously a huge commotion and about three, four cars ahead of you, a guy gets out of the car, big guy, huge guy gets out of the car. You look over at your partner, your wife, your husband, whoever's in the car with you, and you say, can you believe it? Oh my God, look at that guy. He looks like Hulk Hogan. What's he doing? And then you watch one of the most famous wrestlers in the world jump into a a, a crash site and help a young woman who's trapped in her vehicle, he and a friend, Hogan and a buddy, they happened to be nearby. They ran in. They punctured the airbag and pulled her out of the wreckage. Now, the guy's 70 years old. Doesn't mean much because 70's nothing these days. He's in great shape. Let that sink in. 70-year-old celebrity rushed into a dangerous scene to save a life. I mean, come on. Pretty impressive. Now, I'm going to open up the phones for you to call or to text. 877 399 9898. Nine, eight. You got a little bit of time here. And the question is the real question is have you ever had to jump into a situation that was really dangerous to save someone's life or to save a pet or save a child? Or did someone perhaps come and save you? And how do you feel about a famous person putting their lives at risk for the sake of saving a life for others? I mean, really, you look at Hulk and you know, he's a good guy. Great, great actor, great, uh, great um, wrestler and so on. But would you ever expect that he'd jump into a car and, helps, and how that immediately comes to mind? take the position, how quickly you come into, into, jump into action. Would you be willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? You ready to jump in to save a life? I think I am. I just don't know. You don't know till you get there, right? Well, he did so. Wasn't that long ago. His new wife, yoga instructor Sky Daly, she took to Facebook to praise his action and talked a lot about it. By all appearances, the, the the girl, the young woman, the woman that he took out of the car was unscathed. Really, just a little rattled. Uh, it was a miracle that she didn't. Uh, she wasn't more hurt, you know, hurt more uh, more significantly than what they saw. Just minor, minor uh, things, minor scratches and bruises. But imagine, I mean, aside from the fact that you're a victim of a car crash. Imagine if your savior was Hulk Hogan or, you know, pick somebody, right? Pick a famous guy, a famous actor, actress, famous person coming to save your life. If you're, you know, happen to be in that area. I mean, I kind of envision myself one day where, you know, I happen to run into Sylvester Stallone and he and I go save somebody in a restaurant somewhere who's being attacked by somebody. I mean, it's a dream, right? It's never going to happen. Yeah, but I'd like to hang with Sly, do some good. So you never know when this is going to happen. You never know when you're going to have to jump into 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 the I guess into the fray if you will. Get your feet a little dirty, maybe your hands a little messy, right? A little bit scrappy. You never know. And would you do it? You think you could do it? You could you bring it upon yourself to jump into a situation where you might be a little bit at risk. May not be the best thing in the world. You know, maybe something that's slightly dangerous, like a fire. I know people, I've heard stories of people running into a a blazing fire, a burning blaze of a building to try to save a life. Would you do that? I don't know that I would. I mean, I for sure would call 911. I for sure would do what I could to try to save a life and, and, you know, in some realistic fashion. But I don't know that I could jump into a, a burning building or a burning car. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, you know, not because I wouldn't want to do it. I just don't know that I'm equipped to do it. And I think that's the other thing. You have to make a decision. If you're in a life-saving, if you have a life-saving opportunity, you've got to ask yourself, do I have the physical capability? Do I have the tools I need to do this? The, the, the mental fortitude and so on to do this? Well, Hulk is definitely portrayed as someone at their best today on this show. But I wanted to share the conversation with you more about what it means to do a, to to do a to be involved in a selfless act what's it mean to be involved in a selfless act what does it mean to be in a situation where you know you could you could uh make a decision to walk away or make a decision to help somebody you know we were on we had a conversation a little a few a segment two segments before now we were talking to Erwin elwin Elman who is uh a former advocate for children and youth in Ontario. And we we're talking about, you know, saving the lives of children. You know, would you would you call the cops? Would you call the authorities saying that I know there's a, a child, I think there's a child at risk that might be a, a you know, might be a victim of of, of uh, some form of abuse, verbal or otherwise, because we can hear what's going on in the house? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you think about that but i'd like to think that i'd have the parts to do so i'd love to hear what you think 877-399-9898. you can send me a text that would be just fine would you be, could you do what hulk hogan did could you put yourself out there do the right thing to try to save a life even though maybe you put yourself at risk you know last week we talked about uh, in our in our final segment of every show we're going to try to share a positive story with everybody so we can all go to sleep thinking nice thoughts instead of some of the more you know, difficult conversations we have on this show qualifier or not at the beginning of the show, but even with the qualifier, you still have to recognize some of this stuff might leave you not thinking the greatest things, the greatest thoughts, maybe feeling a little hurt or worried or whatever, hard to go to sleep like that. So we want to end it on something positive and Hulk jumping into a vehicle to save a life is certainly very positive. Last week we talked about two girls that jumped into water to save two, uh, two older swimmers, uh, that were at risk and um, ended up saving both lives and and did so. They had swimming experience and they had lifeguarding, life-saving experience and knowledge. They were able to do that. That's the key here, right, my friends? The key is that you don't step into something that you don't feel capable or have the skills for, right? Just dial a phone number. It's easy to dial 911 and stick around, right? Dial 911 and stick around. That's very important that you stick around. Dialing 911 and taking off doesn't help. I don't mean taking off like running away, but, you know, I called 911. I told them there's noise going on in the house. I'm going to leave now and go and do what I got to do. Well, just stick around until my recommendation is stick around until you actually see the vehicles, you see the police show up and uh, do what they got to do. In uh, Calgary recently, here, there was an article in their situation not long ago a man who killed his estranged wife outside of Calgary school. He was also facing domestic violence charges prior to the attack. Uh, he ended up killing his, uh, his wife and then killing himself. A uh, woman was found, I believe it was his wife, one was found uh, dead in front of the Calgary school on Tuesday this week past. Uh, Her estranged partner doesn't say wife or husband. So, uh, a stra- oh, it does say wife here. It's a strange partner um, who was already facing criminal charges for domestic violence and was charged with twice violating a no contact order. The man who killed his estranged wife uh, was also facing uh, all kinds of other uh, restrictions in terms of not being able to see them. Anyway, the, um, the bottom line is that um, there's a lot of domestic violence on the rise here and i get that people are very uncomfortable and very frustrated many people are very frustrated and they come home from work and take it out on each other and then the you know the the whole compromise situation between you know a man and his wife and you know the man usually being more physically dominant than than the the wife you know it just puts Puts people in a, just a terrible, terrible position. Sometimes it works in reverse, where it's a it's a an aggressive uh, mo- an aggressive wife, and, and, and the husband is the the victim of the domestic assault. But you know, here is a situation where we knew, and we and we hear this over and over and over again. The guy had restrictions; he was not allowed to be. Uh, near his uh, estranged partner. His wife wasn't able to, uh, he had a no contact um, restriction and all these things were in place. Yet he managed to kill this woman outside the Calgary school. And, um, you know, thankfully the the officials are not naming the family per se for the benefit of the kids. But it's the kids I want to talk about right now. Because as much as adults you know, we know enough to take care of ourselves in relationships, one would hope, but the kids don't get to choose. Kids don't get to choose their parents, and they don't get to choose the kinds of parents they have. My guest this, my guest this morning, this evening, depending on where you live, his name is Irwin Ellen, and he is um, a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine in terms of uh, being a uh, uh, person that we've had on before in terms of uh, acting providing help and advice. Irwin is the former Ontario advocate for children and youth. Not exactly sure what he's doing, but I'm sure doing something that's really good to help others. Irwin, thanks so much for being here and hope you're well.
1: I am. Well, it's nice to talk to you again, Jonah. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Um, so I want to get right to it. Uh, the conversation, Erwin, is really about um, people trying to get people to understand the impact that, that domestic violence has on kids. So when, mm. you know, when you're, when you're dealing with roughly six and ten people living, report some kind of child, you know, roughly in Canada, report some kind of child, you know, maltreatment before the age of 15. Um, some of it's verbal, some of it's physical. Um, what what's what's going on? What's your experience? But from the years that you were the advocate, the child advocate in in Ontario, and I guess you're doing some work since you've left. Um, what's going on this in this world, and specifically in this country? What can we do to protect children?
1: Well, wow. uh, there's so many things that we can do. I'm glad you asked it that way because uh, I don't think we are uh, with the stat- statistics you just mentioned. I don't think we are protecting children. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of three things, and, and they sound very general, but uh, and young people taught me this over the years. I think we need to create a society where children have what they need uh, when they need it in, in order to thrive. We need to create a society where we say to them, you will be safe. And then the third thing, which sometimes we forget about, is we need to say to families of all stripes uh of any kind, biological families, adoptive families, foster families, kin families, chosen families, we need to say to them, thank you, Uh, whatever you need to do right by your children, you will have, and that includes support to the parents, uh, whatever the parents need to do right by their children, you will have, and that's a commitment we don't make in any way, shape, or form uh, to children and families in any province or territory in our country and we need to start there perhaps it's a culture a shift in culture but that's the first thing i think we need to do and then build systems around that that will act to do those three things
0: so erwin you know here's a situation where we you know we hear about this uh these two acts of, of serious violence in alberta recently um and you know there's restrictions against the husband being able to see the wife and so on. Um, is it your experience that the courts also provide for restrictions from, you know, from a domestic partner or, or you know, a domestic a partner that's involved in domestic violence? Is there restrictions from them accessing the kids as well? And is it just a physical thing or even, you know, voice or, or by telephone? Like, how do, how do we make sure the kids are protected from the from the perpetrator, whether they hear it actively or after the fact?
1: Well, we have a child protection system. It, uh, it calls itself child welfare across Canada in each province, but it's basically the same. Um, and It's a child protection system that moves through courts, and uh, judges make decisions, uh, family court judges make decisions on the kind of access a parent uh, might be able to have, could be su- supervised access, uh, could mm-hmm. be just by phone, it could be in person, it could be uh, uh, full access uh, if there 's joint custody, and it could be no access. Courts decide that the problem I see is and there 's been some lobbying to create laws, but judges are not trained in intimate partner violence and what that means and how to to see signs of that, so the right. judges who are making these decisions sometimes are operating without the kind of training that they might need in order to make that decision. And there's been some push to have training, mandatory training for judges around this. But of course, judges, being judges, don't often think they need the training that uh, non-legal people of the legal institutions think they might need. So there's been some resistance to so yes that can be but you know I would say we also have to remember that in families where there is intimate partner violence children are w- witnessing it are victims too mm-hmm. and uh consequences can be lifelong for what they've they've been witnessing
0: is the is child abuse and domestic violence, is it something that's specific in your experience? Is it something that uh, is specific to a demo- type of demographic or is it as uh, widespread in you know, homes of, you know, where folks have a much higher income perhaps than others? Or is there any kind of, you know, cross uh, cross information, any kind of data that supports that it's more prevalent in one society versus another?
1: Well, I think that, uh, stress, um, on adults is a huge cause. So I don't want to say that in families that are under economic stress, for instance, poor, poor families have a, are, are where the intimate partner violence exists. But it, it is a factor. Um, but it's a product of, of how we value uh, women and and uh, people might not like this woke term if it sounds like it but misogyny that still exists mm-hmm. in our society so mm-hmm. it's a product of that so it it goes along all in it happens in all all income brackets but stress certainly is a a factor um, and all the things that come with stress uh, all the things that come with sort of poverty like uh, addictions, which you know full well, um, like uh, a history of child abuse themselves as adults. So mm-hmm. those are all factors that ha- that happen and lead to perhaps domestic violence, but there is an underlying kind of misogyny that I think exists uh, that is where the root is. Um, yeah. So as a,
0: when you were back in the chair of the, uh, you know, as the advocate for children and youth in Ontario, did, mm-hmm. did you, were you able to, I mean, can you, can you know, Erwin, can you actually, like, I've had this conversation with people from various children's aid type organizations. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, your hands still feel tied, though, don't they? I mean, we've talked about this before in the past, but, you know, do you find that there's very, really, how much can you do? I mean, other than, you know, you get a kid that's in a bad situation, by the time you hear about it, it's kind of too far gone, isn't it?
1: You know, uh, for children, I'd say Mm -hmm. this is my experience, it's Mm -hmm. never too far gone to um, take them out of a situation where they're in harm's way, so remove them from harm's way. And I would say the way in which we practice that, um, no matter which province or territory we're in, is not very successful. The foster care and group homes and, and removing children from their families and not working to support their families after we've removed them, separating them and bringing them into state care as if they've never had a biological family, this is not a, a good system to use. But we can uh, take children out of harm's way. And I guess that's something I think about I always, when I talk, especially to adults. Maybe, and I'm presuming mostly adults are listening to us now. That if there are some uh, who are carrying some of those scars you talked about in your introduction, it's never too late to do something about it. I, I think they need people need to know they are enough, and if they can find uh, people to listen to them to understand them, to acknowledge what they've been through. I, I'm convinced because I've seen it. Uh, whether they're 6-year-olds in the 45 years I worked with children and youth of 6-year-olds or 18-year-olds or adults yep. who are now parents who had a history of, of witnessing horrible things or had horrible things happen to them as children, they are enough if they find the right uh, human connections kind of the things that you provide probably in your work, mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. enough to find a way through. The scars may never leave. I'm not Pollyanna about that. The memories may never leave, but they can find their the place to wellness and, and uh, live a good life. It's possible. And I, I think I want them to know that. I think that's a great I, message. I've seen that's how despairing message. it can be. Yeah. Um, do you agree with that?
0: What do- yeah, I do. I think you're right on the money. I think it's never too late and um, uh, you know, I I I agree that the damage and 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 the scar tissue may never go away, but you can st- certainly survive and thrive. Uh, with good mm-hmm. therapy and, and good supports, um, what does yep. somebody do, Erwin, What does someone do now if they suspect that there's some form of domestic violence or child abuse going on in in a home? Maybe it's in a building they live in, and they can hear it at night, or they're you know in in their complex, they can see it in the parking lot, or see it in a parking lot outside of Walmart. What what do people do? What, what's the appropriate thing to do? Should they step in, or is that not the right answer?
1: Uh, well, I would say it. There's an end and, and you're, are you' talking about when they know there's children in in the home yeah
0: yeah exactly when there's yeah. a ch- when there's children involved yep
1: this is my belief uh, be, and and you'll know uh, I have never been a, f- a fan even tonight of the child protection system as it as it operates yep. Yep. but I would still say what people should do is phone the child protection system in in their city or town or province whatever number that they have. Um, it's it's not their legal obligation in most provinces to phone, but it is their duty under the law to phone, as a, even as a citizen, that if they suspect a child is witnessing that kind of violence, they now know, listening to you, that that's uh, a form of emotional abuse, just witnessing that kind of violence, because children absorb it, the, their brains absorb it. And sometimes, and often you'll know in your work, they feel as children and they grow up as adults to feel responsible for it. And so they know there's damage to a child there. So, yes, they have an obligation to phone. I think then, um, presumably and usually, it's a woman who's on the end of receiving that kind of treatment. I think it's okay. At times, to safely, uh, when you meet the woman of the home alone, to just ask, be curious, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Is there anything I can do to be supportive? Um, I think it's, it's okay and good to reach out. Uh, yeah you
0: know that. yeah you know people say well i don't want to get involved it's none of my business you know i, I don't want you know it's, i don't want anybody involved in my life but you know people need to understand that we have an obligation if it's not legal it's certainly moral uh to step in and make sure that uh, kids get a voice from somebody and if it's not uh, their own and it's somebody standing by real quick um buddy what are you doing <laughs> now like what's uh, what did you move on to after the advocacy work
1: well i'm i i have many projects i'm technically retired but i'm uh Fellow, senior fellow with the Laidlaw Foundation of nice. Ontario. I'm the president of an organization called Defense for Children International. I still help the coroner of Ontario do child death reviews and oh, I God. work with uh, as an advisor to a group in Ukraine trying to deinstitutionalize the orphanages and I'm trying to bring together a group of people to create a new uh, model of child protection for or Ontario, and then perhaps Canada. So, lots of things, lots of irons in the fire.
0: Yeah, dial me in somewhere if I can help in some way, man. You know, I I'm will. I'm on your. I'm on your team, and, and on you your, on your team anytime.
1: Too. What's that? Uh, you stay in touch, too, please.
0: Oh, I will I will for sure. Erwin uh, Elman, thank you so much, my friend, for being here with us this evening and sharing uh, always uh, great, honest insight. And uh, you, you certainly have a much softer touch than most people would recognize if uh, they would recognize the position you were in. So thank you, my friend. Thank you for being here, and we'll definitely have you back on again. Erwin uh, Elman, he was the uh, former uh, Ontario advocate for child and youth uh, in uh, the province of Ontario. Uh, so thanks again. Appreciate
1: it, man. Take, take care of yourself, man. Bye-bye.